started writing Food for the Archons as a book of despair after watching my father die in 2013. During his transition, I experienced a series of paranormal and psychic events that left me feeling that I had either gone completely crazy or fell into humanity's darkest secret. I spent the next five years conducting extensive research, and I quickly learned that what I had experienced was real. My journey brought me to an understanding that showed me that despite the terrifying reality of an unseen predator, we as humans have a forgotten power. Just knowing this brings us tremendous hope in what once seemed a dark reality. I wrote this book for me in hopes of gaining a better understanding of our reality and relationship to it, but my hope is that you will find as much value in reading it as I did in writing it. I am human, food for the Archons, humanity's psychic connections, simulated realities, parallel worlds, and the manipulation of mankind. It's available on Amazon.com and at SixthSenseMedia.net and wherever books are sold. I'm Dennis Nappy II, reminding you to let your intuition be your guide. Thank you. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. There's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Who am I? Or should I say, what are we? Trying to understand my internal thought processes, what's coming from my own mind, what's coming from my intuition, and what's coming from somewhere else. How much of me is actually me, or should I say, how much of my perception of me is actually me, and how much is something else? It's a, uh, a deep question that teachers of mine have talked about previously, and I, I had a moment about a week or two ago where I started started to understand the implications of that. Uh, and I think I've just been on this, this thread lately. I'm going to talk about that and tie it into our favorite subjects of AI and some research coming out of DARPA, how to influence and possibly control behaviors through technology in the brain. Dennis Nappy II here. This is another episode of the Seeker Podcast. Once again, it's been too long since I've been able to broadcast, but I'm happy to be on the air talking with all of you. Today is Sunday, October 3rd, 2021. It has been a, uh, a busy, it's been a busy, crazy, hectic year, uh, and so much is going on in the world. Uh, I've avoided certain topics and discussions on here. I'm sure you could do the math and figure out why there's things that normally I'd probably love to talk about that I'm choosing not to talk about right now. But I hope that whatever choices you're making in your life right now, you are doing well, you are staying safe and healthy and making wise decisions as you're following that intuition when you're being bombarded with everything that's being thrown at us right now. Tough times indeed, my friends. I want to talk about uh, some of the thoughts that I've been having. I got to say, getting to this point to sit down and do the show, I think because my time has been so disrupted, really, since COVID hit, and I haven't been able to get on the air as often, um, I had anxiety coming on. I I've tried to sit down to do this show, I want to say, four times over the past two weeks. I've journaled about it, I've spoken about it, I've thought about it. 
just to get behind the microphone. I don't know why I'm, I'm behind the mic every week on crypto viewing, but to talk to all of you like this. And I realized, I know you're probably going, shut up, Dennis, rant over. I, but this is such a, a, a therapeutic uh, activity project for me. And I miss doing it every week just to get all the craziness that's in my mind in somewhat of a logical, coherent thought uh, out on the air. It's helpful. So I'm excited to share these thoughts with you guys. So I guess this all started, um, I, I was in the shower uh, like about two weeks ago, and I just, I had this, I don't want to say epiphany, but I've heard teachers, people that I'm friends with, people that I look up to and admire, um, they talk about observing your own thoughts and then realizing that you are not your thoughts or I am not my own thoughts. And it's weird because I had this moment where I completely understood what that meant because teachers have told me that in the past and I understand it, but I don't understand it. And for a moment, I completely synthesized and processed the depth of that statement. And then I lost most of it, that understanding, that confidence I had in that understanding. And then I got flooded with a thousand questions. Wow, as I'm doing this, I'm, I'm really understanding that experience. So it's like, I had it. Hey, here's understanding. And then, but before you can really embrace this understanding, here's a bunch of questions and a bunch of things to think about. And that's what I want to talk about now. So our thoughts, if they're not us, there's something separate to us, then having a thought at times can be something that happens to us, something that happens to me. I've looked into where do these thoughts come from? And I believe we have, we do have original thoughts, but the idea is what, what am I then now? And when I say that, and I want to get into some of the tech stuff a little bit later on the show, but when I say that, and I think about my mind and my thoughts and, and the experiences that I have, I'm fairly confident that some of the ideas that come to my mind aren't coming from me. You know, it almost reminds I just watched a Michael Jackson uh, video the other day, and he was talking about how he got the inspiration for Billie Jean. He went through his creative process, and he goes, I, I hear the bass line, and he does this amazing beatbox, and then I hear the high notes, and then I hear the lyrics come in, and the interviewer, might have been Oprah, says, well, where, do you, where does this come from? And he just points, and he says, up above. Now, I'm not... Uh, getting religious on this up above could be, you know, the matrix for all we know, but meaning his ideas came from somewhere else. And that's what he believed was part of his creative process. As a writer, I know that I get these streams of ideas that then my mind obsesses over and I have the story and I, and I, I have to bang it out because there's a certain way I'm trying to process this information. And I compare, as I'm learning remote viewing, I compare that creative process parts of that sensation to the remote viewing process as there's data out there and I'm trying to pull it in and and uh, as I'm taking what they call in remote viewing that signal line. So there's something and then we did a project with crypto viewing looking at where did the inspiration come for Gene Roddenberry who's the founder of Star Trek and it was well this came from somewhere else. There was an energy that was directed to his mind to give him all of these ideas. So I'm fairly certain in the statement saying that we get information that isn't coming from 
from us. And I'm not just, and, and that we're bombarded with the books we read, the the internet, the, the media we consume, the songs we listen to, the people we speak with. So we get information coming from there as well. But there's something else happening that's more, I'd say, in the realms of maybe telepathy or who knows what else to call it. So these things happen. So we take action and we make decisions and we form our own identity out of these thoughts that come into our minds. So if these thoughts are not us, if these thoughts and ideas are not us, if they're coming from somewhere else, then I have to ask the question, what the hell are we? What am I? Who am I? And I don't have an answer for that. I, I don't know. You know, and I'm reading, I'm reading several books right now, but one of the books I'm reading is called Emotional Intelligence. And I think I referenced this during the Roswell conversation I had previously. But this book goes on and talks about the physical structure of the brain. Quincy reading a book called Mind Wars right now as well. That's a that's a mind job right there. The at same thing talks about the physical structure of the brain. But in this emotional intelligence book, they go example after example of how when parts of the brain are physically damaged, people's not only do people lose certain physical functions, but uh, you can damage the emotional cortex or the memory or alter the personality of people. I, I, I dated a girl years ago who um, did an internship at a, it was at a, at a halfway house for people with traumatic brain injuries. And the stories she would tell me about the habits these people would pick up, or sometimes their personalities would change so bad, they would have to end their marriage. Uh, you know, Deep, depraved sexual fantasies would become like their their forefront of their behavior, of their being, of who they were. And I thought about that, and and I think all the time, like, well, I'm me. I'm Dennis Nappy the second. I'm a caring person. I'm a father. I I love exploring things about the mind and being out in nature. But to think that that my mind could be altered, that would change who I am as a person really makes you wonder then, well, who am I really? What happens when my consciousness leaves my body after this physical body ceases to function anymore? Am I going to be as Dennis Nappy II, or will I default to something else? Is, are there, the other question is, are there multiple aspects of me? And my mind and my thoughts maybe are just a part or an aspect of me. And the other stuff, my personality, is another aspect of me. And to get the identity of Dennis Nappy II, it's a combination of all of these different elements and factors. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's not just a black and white, uh, it's either my thoughts, my thoughts are either me or they're not me. Maybe it's a mix. Maybe I'm much more complicated than that. But it gets me thinking about things like artificial intelligence and the technology uh, that that's out there right now designed to influence what we're doing. I'm going to read some of my journaling just to get these ideas out here and then talk about it. Um, so I am susceptible to influence through thought that comes from somewhere else. What if I am not my thoughts? If my brain is damaged and my personality is altered, so what am I? What makes me who I am? We don't even know who or what we are, so how can we protest the perception of an outside intelligence altering our state of mind or our state of being? If we are not our thoughts, then what are we? 
How does our perception of self change when our thoughts are changed? How does our true self change? How do we know that this AI influence isn't something natural? How can we confirm that we're not already an aspect of an advanced AI and this upgrade is a natural progression in its own development? Furthermore, that what may a future upgraded society look like? If everyone is happy and functioning without the negativity we experience, then is it bad? Is it worth fighting? In thinking about disclosure, what will that future society look like after disclosure? After the announcement, the shock, and once we, uh, after that announcement, the shock, and once we reach acceptance, is there no longer the conflict? How will I experience that reality? It may become boring. You see, it is the quest that is exciting, the exploration of what may be possible. Once that moment happens, what do we have to look forward to? Where is our inspiration for growth? It is through the unknown that we are forced to create and imagine, to learn new things in order to solve a problem. Maybe these perceptions of conflict are necessarily for our own growth. Are we individuals or are we part of, co- of a collective or both? I've written more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get back to it, but that is a whole lot of thoughts. Does anybody else experience these racing thoughts? I mean, I'm noticing more and more that this is just kind of how my mind works. It just, it just doesn't stop with these questions and these thoughts and trying to connect these abstract ideas. Uh, so to those of you who are still listening to my madness, thank you so very much. So in, in thinking about this, I, I want to, it, it's important for me I realized this through some commentary I heard uh, on another platform that I don't fall into dogma on this show. Now I have my beliefs and my, you know, and, and the areas that I lean towards, but I think that it's important to really practice what I preach and keep an open mind. Now I have been adamantly against this AI takeover. I've been against this AI integration with our minds uh, because of my fear of losing I'll say autonomy, but after everything I just talked about, maybe it's the perception of autonomy. But what's going on in our world? Now, again, I believe that our perception shapes our reality. And I can sit here and make an argument of how strange and scary and horrible things are. I spent a lot of time writing about that, but I can also point out all these wonderful, beautiful, amazing things about our existence. And to an extent, I believe it, it, it depends on what we focus on. But it does seem that we can be at times bombarded with more of the negative than the positive. And I have to wonder, is that by design? Does that serve a specific purpose for us And is that necessarily a bad thing? And if life is so bad right now, then what's the fear? I know what some of them are, but what's wrong with creating an AI that can help us to better regulate ourselves to improve the quality of life in society? If everyone is happier, then is this technology bad? Well, what if it's an archon-type technology and they're feeding off us like the machines in their matrix? Well, according to my platform, I propose that's happening already. Is it the equivalent of 
Having happy cows, the cows are still slaves to the farmers forced to produce milk against their will. But if they're happier, isn't that better than not being happy and being forced to produce milk? Now, I'm not saying let's go put the chips in our brain. I'm not saying that at all. I just have really been trying to take this perspective. And there has been talk out there of the future influencing the past, especially when you start going down and exploring the ET realm or the UFO realm. Why are they coming back? Why are they trying to influence us now to make changes that are going to impact the future? How do we know, even though it seems scary and terrible now, that they are not trying to make things better for the future? I think for me, the best conclusion I can come to right now is I'm afraid of an alteration being made to my own perception of self. And therefore, I do not want to take that risk without being explained fully what the purpose is and how it's going to benefit and harm me in the process. But I really don't know anything other than my own fears of, hey, this feels bad because it's a change. And I think it's important for us to be mindful of that. Now, there's a lot of scary things going on that, again, force us to look at the Skynet scenario. The other piece of that, in in that piece that I shared, I use disclosure as an example. For those of us who are interested in in disclosure and the UFO phenomenon, and I, I need to tread cautiously here out of respect to the victims of abduction, because I think they're in a different camp, those that experience trauma, some that experience the trauma. I think some just wanted to stop and to go away. But those experiences, they change us. For those of us who are in the research end of it, I I suspect, I know me, I enjoy that process. I enjoy that investigation. I enjoy the things I read, the people I talk to, and the conclusions I try to make as I'm trying to solve this mystery. And I have learned and grown in tremendous ways that have brought me a lot of joy and fulfillment in my life in a way that almost feels like this is my life's purpose. What happens when we get disclosure, if we get disclosure? Not like that week, but let's say everything we ever hoped to be told, everything we've ever researched, we get that confirmation. The government shows up, the ETs land, we're here, here's what we've been doing, and here's why. I don't think it's going to happen that way, but what if that happened? Fast forward one year, fast forward five years, fast forward 50 years. Now what? For those of us that spend a lot of time exploring those things, now what? Everything's been figured out. I'm sure we'll find new mysteries and things to look into, but there's something about that journey that drives us, that's exciting. So as much as I want to know, I'm thankful that I don't just know right now, because this has been such an enjoyable learning experience. I, let, me, let me be clear, there have been times it's been terrifying, but overall, I'm thankful for for this path that I'm on, because it's taught me so much. Is AI the same thing? 
Are we going through that same experience right now where I've taken a position of, for the most part, opposition to it, but that opposition drives me to want to know more, trying to keep that drive, that opposition in a healthy balance. So I'm not creating problems. So I'm just learning and trying to understand right now. The other thing I have to think about is if I'm not my thoughts and my thoughts are coming from somewhere else, then is my opposition, is my, my rebellion for whatever, many of us feel that we're fighting the system, that we're rebelling against the system. I have to ask the question, if, if we're susceptible to those outside thoughts, is it possible that we are here, we're running a program that is telling us to rebel? And our sense of identity and independence that we seem to be fighting for is really another program that we're tapping into, another signal line that we're buying into and following. Because for some reason, the system or the higher power feels that those thoughts and actions are necessary to serve the greater system. If that is true, then we really are connected to some larger hive. We just, not may, we just may not be fully aware of all of the parts of that hive. So, let me read a little bit more. This I wrote on my birthday a few days ago. Continuing from the above thoughts, I want to turn this into a podcast exploring it deeper. What will be the impacts of an AI integration with our minds? Hasn't it already happened or begun? What makes my fears different from the anxiety felt during the last industrial revolution? Hasn't our consciousness and awareness changed since then? What will be the impact on our society? Will it look better than our current system in terms of peace and happiness? What is our measure of good of a good society? What about the value of conflict and struggle? I wouldn't have learned remote viewing, joined the crypto team, or written my books and podcasts if my father didn't suffer and die. My entire identity has been shaped through that trauma, and my knowledge and growth has stemmed from it. With a fully technologically connected society, will there be any privacy? What's the difference between the technological connection and the psychic one? Aren't they working towards something similar? I've uncovered through my research the ability to influence our minds and actions through psychic means. Is this tech any different? Are we resilient? How much have I already been influenced by both tech and psychic spheres? Will they eventually be revealed to be the same thing? And I think that's important to acknowledge as well. Uh, A lot of these things I kind of touched on already, but... I go back to the worst experience of my life, and it has led me to one of the most important projects ongoing of my life. And these projects are no longer about my father's death. I want to be clear. I'm not running on some vengeful lust to to avenge my dad or figure out what happened. That's there, but this has become something of its own entity now. At first, it was about my dad's death, but it, I've evolved past that now. And I would give anything to have my father back. But all these wonderful things that I'm a part of now, I wouldn't have if my father didn't die in the horrible way that he did. 
and I'd give it up to have my dad back. I would. But I have to acknowledge that from that terrible thing, so many meaningful things for me have blossomed through that. And I am thankful for that. So are we going through something similar now? And I'm not saying we are. I'm not saying we're not. I'm not saying put the chip in your brain. I want to be clear about that. Okay. But I, I, I want us to really, if we really want to understand a problem, we need to be open to all aspects of this problem. All right. So I want to shift gears for a minute. Oh, I, I do want to acknowledge what I was saying, though. Our fear of connecting to AI is that somebody will be able to read and write in your brain and we're going to lose some of our autonomy. But I have to acknowledge the hypocrisy with all the psychic development that I've been promoting and working towards. The ability to read people, to gather information. Nothing is secret when we have a world like that. And I'm okay with the psychic aspect. And I'm okay with that because I believe I have a level of control. I have a filter when information comes in. I can accept it or I can reject it. I had to develop that filter, honestly, because there were times where I would just accept and not even be aware of that acceptance of it. Will we develop that with an AI interface, a technological interface? We have the ability to shut it off or to say no or to argue or disagree. I don't know because then again, we need to ask who or what are we? Now, I want to talk about some technology here. I'm reading a book called Mind Wars. Who's it written by? Let me look. All right. When I say reading, I mean I'm listening to via Audible a book called Mind Wars. Uh, and that book is written by. Jonathan D. Of course, now I can't read his last name. Uh, Moreno, I think it's. I think his last name is Moreno. This was recommended in a um, conversation I watched at West Point. I wasn't at West Point. I watched it on YouTube by. I've spoken about him before. James Giordano. He's a neuroscientist out of uh, Georgetown University, and his stuff scares the crap out of me. So. This is that thread that I've been on and, and following his lead to this book. And now this book dropped a couple of things that I thought were worth sharing with all of you, talking about the research and advancements in um, brain science through organizations like DARPA. All right. So the first article that I, you know he talked about that I want to share, um, it's, it's a PDF. It's titled Shaking the World, Galvanic Vestibular Stimulation as a Novel Sensation interface. Let's read the abstract here. We developed a novel sensation interface device using a using galvanic vestibular stimulus, GVS. GVS alters your balance. Our device can induce vection, which is virtual sense of acceleration synchronized with optic flow or musical rhythms. The device can also influence lateral walking towards a node while human walking. Okay, so what they're saying, uh, well, here's their conclusion. This device is for resonant communication as all senses communication. We intend to communicate the nonverbal feeling like kinetic senses, which cannot be shared conventionally. 
We expect that this vection reproduction by GBS will become a standard function of communication like sound reproduction in mobile telephones or portable music players. We also aim to demonstrate and create awareness of the use of GBS as a novel sensation media. So what this thing does, I think it was like a helmet. There was a study or a demonstration done years ago. You put it on and it was making people either feel dizzy or have a strong urge to turn left or right, depending on who the monitor or the controller, depending on which way they're pushing the joystick or the button or the lever. Okay, so basically, this is a way to remote control human behavior, human direction. Now, I'm sure there are valid medical reasons for something like this that deal with people with brain injuries. And that's the caveat we need to put on this. I, I, I work with and I have worked with people who have, uh, who have physical disabilities now due to a brain injury or illness. And technology like this is life-changing, life-saving for them. And I can sit here all day long and tell you how scary this stuff is and how bad it is and how terrible it's going to be. But I will never win that argument with those parents as a parent myself. Because I would absolutely be getting in line to give my child a better life with something like this. Or if I was in a situation like that. So we need to be mindful of of the good and the bad here, but I think it's important to be aware of the bad and how this could be used because this is kind of dual-use research here. They're doing it for medical purposes, but the military is also looking at that going, all right, how are we going to use this? All right, so that's just scratching the surface here, um, talking about that one. So there is an organization called BrainGate. I'm just going to read their about page. It's braingate.org. Uh, Our research team includes leading neurologists, neuroscientists, engineers, computer scientists, neurosurgeons, mathematicians, and other researchers all focus on developing brain-computer interface or BCI technologies to restore the communication, mobility, and independence of people with neurologic disease, injury, or limb loss. Our research is focused not only on improving the ability to operate a computer, but also on providing people with ALS, spinal cord injury, and stroke with reliable, constant control over their environment. So what BrainGate does is it links the mind to technology. So for somebody who um, has a physical disability or limited mobility, or um, uh, what's the word, Uh, where you lose a limb, why can't I think of an amputation of a limb, they can now interface the brain with the robotic arm. So you can move your arm and and grab your tea and feed yourself and and do all the things that you used to with that brain-computer interface. That's a wonderful thing. However, the other side of that research is allowing our minds to connect for the purposes of warfare. Okay, so there, let's look here. This is from DefenseOne.com. It's now possible. Now, this is an old article, May 31st, 2013. So think about how much has evolved since then. It's now possible to telepathically communicate with a drone swarm. DARPA's new research in brain-computer interfaces is allowing a pilot to control multiple simulated aircraft at once, person with a brain chip can now pilot a swarm of drones or even advanced fighter jets thanks to funded uh, research funded by the U.S. military's Defense Re- Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA. 
The work builds on research from 2015. That doesn't make sense if I quoted this article as 2013. Ah, the photo was from 2013. Okay, I got to find a date for this. September 6, 2018. Sorry, friends. The work builds on research from 2015, which allowed a paralyzed woman to steer a virtual F-35 joint strike fighter with only a small surgically implanted microchip. On Thursday, agency officials announced that they had scaled up the technology to allow a user to steer multiple jets at once. As of today, Signals from the brain can be used to command and control not just one aircraft, but three simultaneous types of aircraft, said Justin Sanchez, who directs DARPA's Biological Technology Office at the agency's 60th anniversary event, event in Maryland. More importantly, DARPA was able to improve the interaction between pilot and the simulated jet to allow the operator, a paralyzed man named Nathan, to not just send, but receive signals from the craft. Signals from those aircraft can be delivered directly back to the brain, so the brain of that user or pilot can also perceive the environment, said Sanchez, taking a number of years to try and figure this out. So I don't know what those signals look like, um, but they're starting to uh, identify these aircraft as an extension of themselves, much like one would identify an artificial limb as an extension of themselves, and you can perceive with that feedback what it's doing. That's wild. And again, this was this was 2018 uh, that this article was written. I'm sure a lot has changed even since then. Okay, there's more to this article. I will share it in the show notes. Uh, just some of the related articles shared to this. Uh, I'm not going to read them right now. You can go back and find them on your own. Related. The U.S. Navy is developing mothership drones for coastal defense. Related. Uh, let's see. Oh, Ukraine startup building drones with grenade launchers. So that's fun. So here's our worst case, like a Skynet scenario. Okay, now here's something. This is from uh, May 14th, 2009. Pentagram, Pentagram, Pentagon preps soldier telepathy push. This is from Wired.com. Okay, forget the battlefield radios, the combat PDAs, or even infantry hand signals. When the soldiers of the future want to communicate, they'll read each other's minds. At least that's the hope of researchers at the Pentagon's Mad Science Division, DARPA. The agency's budget for the next fiscal year includes $4 million to start up a program called Silent Talk. The goal is to allow user-to-user communication on the battlefield without the use of vocalized speech through analysis of neural signals. That's on top of the $4 million the Army had handed out last year to the University of California to investigate the potential for computer mediated telepathy sorry my cat just knocked books off my bookshelf that's what you heard for being vocalized speech exists as a word specific neural signals in the mind darpa wants to develop technology that would detect these signals of pre-speech analyze them and then transmit the statement to an intended uh interlocutor darpa plans to use eeg to read the brain waves technique they're also testing on a project to devise mind reading binoculars that alert soldiers to threats faster the conscious mind faster than the conscious mind can process them there's more to this article as well um i'm gonna read the final paragraph in a second here but binoculars that can read your thoughts i mean think about all of this stuff so again i say you know who or what are we are these thoughts mine where are they coming from and if we can, we've proven that the psychic stuff exists, 
And we're now seeing that the technological stuff exists. So why, when someone says, you know, computers in the brain or I'm getting these signals from somewhere else, why do we still assume that, that they're crazy? This is, this is our military research right here going on. Okay, but it continues to get even weirder. Let me read this last paragraph here. The military has been funding a handful of mind-tapping technology recently and already have monkeys capable of telepathic limb control. Telepathy may also have advantages beyond covert battlefield chatter. Last year, the National Research Council and the Defense Intelligence Agency released a report suggesting that neuroscience might also be useful to make the enemy obey our commands. The first step, though, may be getting a grunt to obey his officers remotely. Trans has remotely transmitted thoughts. Okay, so they're working on looks like mind control of the enemy. All right, what happens when we become the enemy? Let's see. Here's another one. This is from NBC News. This goes back to 2002, June 19, 2002. Scientists wire up rats for remote control by implanting electrodes in rats' brains. Scientists have created rodents that can do their bidding remotely. I'll share this link for you to review the research um, or the article and then find the research on your own. But basically, these electrodes were implanted in the rat's brains, and it had something to do with just pulsing lights in one spot or another, and it can cause the rat to stop, go forward, go left, go right. This is a very useful thing in things like what they're saying, landmine detection, or in the events of uh, a cataclysm you know, search and rescue, you can use these rats and send them in. They also have valid, when you talk about now being able to receive signals back or implant a small camera on this rat, you can use that for espionage purposes. So as crazy as this sounds, we talked about drone swarms, you know, controlling multiple aircraft. If we could put these in rats, I'm sure over time, we're going to be able to put these in things smaller you really do have to worry about nature now possibly spying on you. Does that sound 1984-ish or what? But it's it's a scary thing, but here's the technology that's coming out of DARPA. All right. So I, I want to share, it's a, a one-minute YouTube video. I'm going to share it. It's, it's called The Man Who Fought a Bull with Mind Control. And it's about a guy by the name of Jose Manuel Rodriguez Delgado. He was a psychologist and scientific showman who explored the very varied responses of the brain to electrical stimulation. Now, here's a one-minute explanation of it. I'm going to share it with you. It's from YouTube. Jose Delgado, Implants and Electromagnetic Mind Control. Electronic mind control research is not new. A scientific milestone in this area came in the 1960s when Dr. Jose Delgado demonstrated remote control over a charging bull. By connecting a radio antenna to electrodes inserted into the bull's brain, Delgado proved that the animal's aggressive impulses could be thwarted by electronically manipulating the bull's muscle reflexes. Do you realize the fantastic possibilities if from the outside we could modify the inside could we give messages to the inside? But the beauty is that now we are not using electrodes. In recent years, Delgado has shown that the behavior of monkeys can be altered using low-power pulsating magnetic fields. But in these experiments, there were no antenna implants. Any function in the brain, 
emotions, intellect, personality, well, could be perhaps modified by this non-invasive technology. Delgado's research has so far been limited to animals. But in the Soviet Union, a radio frequency, or RF device, has been used for over 30 years to manipulate the moods of mental patients. Okay, uh, that last part, first of all, what he did was he basically stood in front of a bull, and the bull would charge him, and he'd push a button, and the bull would go in the opposite direction and completely de-escalate. So that's how he was using those electrodes implanted in the bull's mind to alter what the bull's doing. But at the end, now this, this video, this video is from the 1960s. They used magnetic fields to alter the moods and behaviors of monkeys. That from the 60s is highly concerning today. Now everybody's afraid, oh my gosh, what's going on? You know, um, I want us to think about something. What's in your pocket every day? Your cell phone, electromagnetic frequencies. What's going up all around the planet is going to continue to increase besides all the satellites we have. Starlink, Elon Musk's company, right? This giant satellite network. Let's tie in some 5G stuff. So do we have a right to feel curious, concerned about the impact that this will have on our own thoughts and our possibly our own actions and behaviors and our own sense of being. And I think that's what the fear is. Like, are we, number one, do we really have control? Number two, are we going to lose this, the sense of control that we have? Or number three, are we not going to care because we're going to feel happier and blissful? But in order to, to make a decision on what we do about it, we first need to understand who or what am I? It's the same question that was asked by Descartes. I think, therefore I am. What he could ascertain is that I am a thinking thing, but beyond that, we don't know what the heck we are. And let's not even tie in matrix reality into that, into that conversation. At the end of the day, I think we have a lot of self-reflection we still need to do. A lot of study that we need to do. Uh, and some of that may be difficult for us because it is, it is hard to realize that we may not be what we think we are. That's why the, the book, it's still available for free, not for much longer, but my, my first book in the I Am Human series, I Am Human, we're not who we think we are, was where I was exploring that possibility that, hey, there's something else going on here that we need to be mindful of as truth seekers. And then in Food for the Archons, I spent a lot of time in research showing that we are susceptible to influence and manipulation by external forces. What are those forces? I don't know. What are we? What am I? I don't know. However, it is fun to speculate and explore it because it feels like sometimes I'm living in a real-life science fiction movie. And they say fact is stranger than fiction, and in looking at all the content and sources that I covered tonight, I'd say for sure it absolutely is. And I think we're dancing between that line of science and spirituality and where they meet, because some of these experience, experiences we have that we interpret as spirituality may at some point in time find a scientific explanation to it. Does that downgrade the significance to those experiences, thoughts, and ideas in our lives? Depends on what you take from it. Depends on what you do with it. And that, I hope, is where we have our control. And that, I hope, is where we can find our identity and our true self. It's an ongoing journey, my friends. 
Thank you so very much for entertaining my thoughts on this. Thank you to those of you that supported my recent sale with I Am Human, Food for the Archons, Humanity's Psychic Connections, Simulated Realities, Parallel Worlds, and the Manipulation of Mankind. We made on the Kindle ebook store top eight. It was great. We were in the niche of, uh, I want to say there were a couple of niches, niches, niches that we were in there, but we were fluctuating between eight, 10, you know, uh, so it was a wonderful thing. Um, that you were all responding that way. So thank you so very much. If you've read the book, please consider throwing a, uh, a review up there on Amazon. Even if you just throw the stars up there, that's very helpful to me. Um, to those of you that purchased the book, thank you so very much. It's, it's such a fantastic feeling that you have an interest in the work that I do. So I'm just truly grateful for every one of you out there. Uh, in addition to my YouTube followers, wow, thank you. We are at a over a thousand followers right now. I never thought I'd see that day. Um, I'm just a guy that puts his goofy ideas out there and uh, I reached that milestone. I'm going to be putting a YouTube video up uh, shortly just as a thank you. And uh, also check out YouTube coming this week, my remote viewing predictions for the month of October 2021 and my review of my predictions for last month as well, for the month of September. Uh, I'm enjoying my training as a remote viewer. And I share those videos really just so people can see um, my successes and my failures because I know there's a lot of you that are training and practicing as well. So I am by no means an expert or an authority or even a, uh, a good remote viewer at this point, but I like to share my journey with all of you because uh, I hope that it helps some of you out there and your feedback has certainly been helpful and uh, motivational for me. So uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart to all of you out there who continue to support my work. I am uh, so thankful and appreciative. All right, friends, Dennis Nappy II here. This has been another episode of the Seeker Podcast from Sixth Sense Media at SixthSenseMedia.net, where small changes among masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning. Keep an open mind. And let your intuition be your guide. Thank you. Be water, my friend. Be water, my friend. Water, my friend. My